You're listening to 91.5 FM WPRK Winter Park, Florida, the voice of Rollins College and the best in basement radio. Right now you are tuned into the Motorsports Hour talking about all sorts of racing. It happens here on WPRK every Sunday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Let me give you the website, themotorsportshour.com. Find our podcast, all kinds of good stuff there. And, of course, take us with you wherever you are in the world via the WPRK app. My name is Clark. I'm your host alongside me tonight, as always, Mr. Chris. Wire to wire. Wire, how you doing over there, man? It's um, it's, it's been a weekend. It has been a weekend. You know, it's a busy weekend. Father's Day came early for me um, this week, and Father's Day is next week, but I celebrated Father's Day this weekend by doing what I do every Father's Day now. now Shopping that I have for kids. Porsches? Um, actually, I did, I did a lot of that. I, I, I did a lot of that. You and I, uh, you send me this thing on Instagram that says, hey, you know, Zot's Garage and um, Zot's Racing Team, they have, they'll have some Porsches out at uh, Porsche North and, and Maitland. Uh, today and it's a big celebration for Porsche's 75th anniversary, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, you know, hey, take the kids, go look at some race cars. Grace was all excited about going to see some race cars. Very nice. Uh, yeah, very nice indeed. Uh, so we we go, uh, you know, we go have some breakfast, go go to Lowe's, do a little shopping, do all that kind of stuff. Um, I, and, and then we go to Porsche. And I tell you what, I got bit by the bug, man. It's easy to do. I got bit by the bug. I'm, I'm you know sitting there. You what else there. will do that? What's that? Driving a truck every day. Yeah, driving a truck every day will do that. Look, I love my truck. I, I've got a great truck. I, my truck is fantastic. You know, I got, you know, really nice Ford F-150. It's great. It's got 95,000 miles on it and everything, But it, and, and I love it. But it doesn't. I had a Porsche before. It does not drive like my Porsche did. Um, and being there uh, with amongst all the Porsche people and everything, um, and I don't know if you saw the poster or the the graphic or whatever you want to call it, the Instagram post that Porsche came out with for Le Mans this year, but it's the butterfly livery on the Porsche 963 on, you know, it's the 100th anniversary of Le Mans, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I don't really like car posters for the most part because I think they look stupid. Almost every car poster I've ever seen looks pretty stupid. This looks really good. This looked really cool, really, really cool. And I go into the Porsche dealership, and I'm like, hey, kind of a weird question, but um, Porsche did this, uh, you know, thing for Le Mans this year, and I was wondering, do y'all have a poster of that? The guy's like, I tried to order 200 of them internally from Porsche. It is the coolest poster I've ever seen. It's like, I couldn't. They, they didn't have them at all. I'm like, I'll buy one. He's like, I can't sell them. If I can get them in, like, let me know. And he's like, hey, Go grab a coloring book. You know, they had all these Porsche coloring books and stuff. So Grace has a Porsche um, coloring book now, which is cool. And here's what Porsche does, just so you know how crazy they are. You know, they have the coloring book. Okay, that's cool. That would be enough. But then they give you the colored pencils, too. Nice. But the colored pencils are paint-to-sample Porsche colors. Love I mean, it. I mean, how cool is that? You know, PTS, Me- baby. Seriously, it's like you know, Mexico blue and all that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, how cool is that? Um, you remember that Porsche ad that they had on, like, I don't know, fifteen, twenty years ago, uh, where it's this kid goes into the Porsche dealership and you know, asks the guy for his business card and says, you know, it's like a twelve-year-old kid and says, "All right, I'll see you in about twenty years," kind of thing. That's that's true. 
You know, we go to Porsche. They have this thing. They're giving out donuts and stuff and all that kind of whatever. And Grace loved it. She's looking at cool cars and everything. She gets a coloring book. I just think it's cool that some manufacturers do that. Basically, Porsche does that. I don't know. You know, BMW doesn't do that. Apparently, though, Porsche doesn't print any of these really cool posters. Not enough. Apparently, they, they for did. For their 75th anniversary. Yeah. They, they had all of the, you know... Uh, Porsche employees were adorned in T-shirts. Yeah. They got not, that right. But not enough posters. Not enough posters. He said he tried to get them but couldn't get them in. And, you know, he said internally, as soon as everybody saw them, every dealership basically ordered all of them. So we just we just didn't get them in time. So anyway, that was a great way to start off Le Mans weekend because we had the 24 hours of Le Mans this weekend. Uh, had a great time watching it. My Father's Day came early because guess what I did all weekend? I watched Le Mans. I watched Le Mans and, uh, you know, in, in the French spirit of things, had a had a nice layout of charcuterie last night. Everybody Very had some nice. charcuterie. Yes, it was impressive. Um, so some charcuterie was had by all. That was good. And then I tried my hand at some uh, at some brandy. And? Not a fan. Some cognac. Not not for me, man. Not for you. No, not for me. Uh, you know, More I'm, whiskey guy, huh? Yeah, I'm definitely a whiskey guy. Look, I love whiskey, um, but brandy is not my thing. Just not my thing. So anyway, okay. but you know, I did that. You know, you did a glass of brandy, and you, you know, can actually mix that stuff too. It's, you know, I'm sure maybe you that's well, not the French tradition, but I tried doing that. I, I'm looking up cognac cocktails and all that kind of stuff, and I I made something called a sidecar, and it tasted terrible. And I, I had know. a sidecar. Yeah, well, not for me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a little, I had the triple second there for making margaritas. A little sure, triple second sure. there, yeah. and uh, you know, a little uh, had some lemons and a little fresh squeezed lemon juice, and it tasted terrible. Not for me. <laughs> hey, but you've got some on hand in case anybody shows up that yeah. would like some. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess a well stocked. You know, there's a lot of uh, lot to be proud of in a well stocked bar. Yeah, well, my bar is mostly whiskey. So anyway. And, and quite a variety of it, but mostly whiskey. Um, why are? Uh, it, it, what about you? What, what did you? What did you do? Did you make escargot? Uh, uh, for, no for, escargot. That no. is off limits. Although, you know, my wife had that on our very first date. You're kidding. And me. I still married her. You're kidding me. Yeah. No, it happened. Really? Lee's Lakeside, Lake es- Eola, Orlando, Florida. Escargot. Escargot. On very first date. Totally unashamed by it, she was. Really? Yeah. That is that's impressive. Yeah. That that is a that is a that is somebody who is saying on a first date, I have expensive tastes. Well, that right was a there. hell of a first date. You yeah. Know, I mean, this this isn't like you go grab a cup of coffee kind of. No, thing. This no. Was, this is know, yeah. Lee's Lake Side. Dressed nice up takes. and let's go. I like it. Yeah. Getting well, the that escargot. Was a few years ago. Yeah. Well, was it about ten years ago? Whatever it was. Yeah, but I, you know, so in in the French spirit of things, I popped a little Bordeaux. All right. You know, cut up a little cheese. You know, didn't do the whole charcuterie like because it was just me. I mean, I eat all the meat in the house, so uh, I didn't overdo it. Oh, but, I did. Uh, I followed that up this morning with some uh, brioche French toast. All right. There you go. So cap that off very well. We do these French things, you know, a couple yeah. Yeah, but during the race, at yeah. least once a year. All right, so let's get to the uh, the the twenty twenty three running of the twenty four hours of Le Mans, shall we? Um, 
of course, lots of big things coming in to the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year. Uh, notably, the fact that we've got Hypercar, we've got um, all of these new teams who are now eligible for the top class. So gone is the LMP era. That's that's long gone. We've had the Hypercar era, but it was just basically Toyota and Glickenhaus. Uh, and now we have all these other teams there. Cadillac. Uh, Van Wall was there too. Okay, another you know team like Glickenhaus, Van Wall, Glickenhaus. These kind of you know one-off kind of small marks. It's cool to see them and all that. But Ferrari, Porsche, Peugeot, Cadillac, Toyota. I mean, this is a bunch of big manufacturers throwing a lot at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Bunch of you know bunch of teams in and more in, to come. Yeah, and a lot more to come. You know, you've got your BMW hat on. They're not there this year. I think they're going to be there next year. Um, Lamborghini. Lamborghini's coming. Some some big stuff coming on. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Know, maybe Acura will make a run at it. You never know. They could. Yeah, I mean, and they could honestly, and you know, well, we'll get we'll get to the other half of you know what the grid's going to look like next year. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll touch on that later. P2, uh, they announced this week that P2 is not going to run in WEC races next year. It is only going to run at the 24 Hours of Le Mans next year. So uh, in the um, in the World Endurance Championship, no more um, P2 cars. It'll continue to be the upper or the top class of ELMS, the European Le Mans series, but will not run in WEC next year. Uh, any chance we can get that happening in IMSA, maybe? Well, I mean, you've already seen, I think, United Autosports immediately launched their you know bid for 2024 in IMSA yeah. with the two-car effort, and I'm quite positive you'll see others as well. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of part of it. I think a lot of those teams that are running WEC are going to come run IMSA now. Um I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing. I I, I don't know. I, I just don't like the P2 cars. End of an era, too. Uh, end of this last time we'd see the GTE cars running. The LMGTEs, the GT cars that don't really conform to a current GT3, GT4, whatever spec out there. Last time for them running at Le Mans is this year, uh, but it's just the GTM, GT Pro. Remember, we used to have GT Pro, which is the factory Porsche, the factory. You know, that's where the factory Ford raced in, factory Corvette team, all that kind of stuff. Well, factory Porsche, had, you know, pulled out. Factory Ford had pulled out. Factory Ferrari had pulled out, and it was basically just kind of factory Corvette that was kind of still hanging around. Um, they announced this week as well that they are basically shutting down the factory program for a Corvette, kind of. So, Pratt & Miller has run the cars for 25 years, quarter century, uh, have had tremendous success. Uh, I mean, look, there's a corner at Le Mans named Corvette now, okay? It tells you all you need to know about Corvette the success curves. they've had. You know, they are winding it down, but... Corvette is still going to have factory drivers, so you're still going to have factory, you know, Corvette drivers that they're going to put in these, you know, GT teams. Pratt & Miller might still run a team, it just won't be with that full factory backing, you know, that yellow and black Corvette, it'll be a different, you know, livery, all that kind of stuff, and they're going to have to go out and find some sponsorship and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Very much the Porsche model, though. Porsche model is, you know, look, we're not, we don't have a factory GT team. We have GT cars. We give you a lot of engineering support. We give you some drivers. We do all this stuff here. Uh, but we're not running the team. And that's kind of the way I see this Corvette program going. Kind of makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. However, I think that they're, I think Corvette is, you know, maybe they're trying to manage, you know, the move into this uh, category um, because they've limited apparently to like six or eight cars the amount of Corvettes that are going to be available. Two are going to run in WEC, um, and two or four of them are going to run in IMSA. And that's it. So it doesn't really turn into a customer-type program the way Porsche has a structure. Where basically yeah. anybody you know, with a fat checkbook can buy a car and solicit Porsche to supply them with you know, the necessary tech and potentially even drivers. Um, that's not really how Corvette is working. Now, it may get to that at some point, but as of next year, it's going to be fairly limited. And hopefully it's going to be successful in that regard because you don't stretch yourself too thin. For so many years, they've only had to focus on the two, two cars. cars. Yeah, two cars. That's it. And the two cars raced all around the world. And, you know, maybe they sent two cars to a, a WEC race or something on a one-off. But, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of cross-pollination with the WEC crew and the U.S. crew and so forth. So um, there's a lot of commonality with that. But now they're not running the team specifically, but they've fallen back into the manufacturer technical partner role. And this could be a way of, you know, them not getting out over their skis by, you know, selling 20 of these things because, you know, these people would line up to race this thing. Yeah. Given the chance. Well, and if you sold 20 of them, I mean, Corvette collectors are kind of nuts, quite frankly. Uh, and they would go in there and I, I bet there would be people who 10 of those cars would never see a racetrack. Well, you know, I, I, I fully believe that, you know, that. Corvette would, knowing their base, and I'm not saying they would call them crazy, but, um, you know, knowing who the customer base is, they'd say, look, you know, you can buy one of these things in, you know, six or seven years when it's done racing, but if you buy it now, you're contractually obligated yeah. to put it on track for, let's say, six IMSA races or something like that. Yeah. And that could easily be written into a purchase contract, so, uh, and just protect the brand in that way. So let's get into uh, some of the, not necessarily, look, qualifying, testing, all that kind of stuff. Qualifying really means nothing in a 24-hour race, and I know people like to talk about, oh, who's fastest, and this car was fastest, this car was on the pole, and this, that, and the other thing. And Yeah, it just doesn't matter in a 24-hour race. Um, so we won't really get into that, but some of the changes for this year, we talked about them last week. Obviously, the Garage 56 entry. The uh, NASCAR going over there and racing, Jensen Button, Jimmy Johnson, Mike Rockefeller behind the wheel of that thing, you know, in a class by itself, uh, in this kind of, you know, display category and everything. I got to say, it's really difficult to get me excited about NASCAR. All this week I'm seeing, you know, this NASCAR running down the Mulsanne Strait making this insane sound and going, this is cool. I like this. This is fun seeing this. It's cool to see. Well, you know, the the thing that got me was 
the turbo era has changed the sounds of Le Mans yes. know, entirely. And even, you know, the GT classes are not what they used to be. No, I mean, even the Corvettes, which is, you know, f- uh, uh, flat plane crank, uh, you know, V8 and all that kind of stuff. And anytime you hear it and you hear it out by itself, you go, thing needs like 800 more revs. 800 more revs means more gas. More gas means longer, you know, shorter stints and all that kind of stuff. And they figured out, no, let's let's keep the revs down. Let's not run it up and because it would just sound so good, so good if it had another 800 revs or whatever it is, but it doesn't. But what I did was I just closed my eyes. Yeah. And, you know, when, they're, when they, they focused coverage on the Garage 56 entry, I just closed my eyes. Yeah. And you can hear that thing thunder down the Mulsanne. And it sounds just like the Corvette from five years ago. Yeah, it does. And to me, that was great. It's not really great to look at. It's no. you know, it's a it's a one off. So they've got dive planes and winglets and all this other stuff around the car, and it's running you know roof rails and so forth, and just all these like kooky aerodynamic add-ons. And it, they serve their purpose. The car, you know, did show some pace. Um, but it's not limited in the same way the the whole the rest of the GT class is. So it kind of slotted in between P2 and you know the GT cars in terms of overall speed. But I gotta say the you know the the NASCAR you know people that were in and around that you know seemed to embrace it a hundred percent. You know there was a lot of social media hype on it, and I, I think they pulled it off. Yeah, I, I, it was cool to see. Uh, everything that they did throughout the entire uh, week leading up to it. Um, let's get into um, briefly uh, some of the some of the fastest times, and I think what everybody was kind of surprised about uh, is that you had a you know a, a car that maybe a lot of people I think a lot of people are going into this thinking that Toyota is going to be the fastest car. You know they have the most you know they have the most recent experience certainly with running Le Mans. Um, but they didn't. Ferrari was on the pole, um, you know, by second thereabouts, which at over the course of a nine mile lap is, you know, not a ton, really. Yeah, it but it's not to something it. Toyota is used to. Yeah, no, it is not. Toyota's, you know, you had Ferrari one, two, and then Toyota three. I'm thinking, hmm, this is kind of interesting. Didn't expect that. I, I thought the Toyota was going to be fastest. Um, you know, Porsche with everything going on, 75th anniversary, all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking Porsche is really wants to win this race. They really, really want to re- win this race. Cadillac kind of showing up there. Look, they've run it. They ran in like the early 2000s, late 90s, never had a whole lot of success. Never, I say never had a whole lot of success. Never had any success with that North Star, uh, you know, LMP that they ran. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, a little bit of experience at Le Mans. Cool to see them back there. You know, cool to see a lot of uh, different cars out there. Corvette on the pole in LMGT Am. That's exciting to see. And, uh, you know, just some some cool stuff going on. So let's get to the race, shall we, Wire? Sure. Sold out. Love it. I, I was at Le Mans in 2006. It's massive. It's a nine-mile circuit, but it's all public roads. So you can't, you know, you can't just walk up to the track and, you know, watch racing like you can in pretty much everywhere. Then they've got these like eight foot tall concrete barriers lining the track. So you really, really can't watch racing wherever you've got to go to these certain areas. And they're always packed with people. And 
it's awesome to see and 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 really cool to see the growth that has that we've seen in sports car racing around the world and you know literally selling out Le Mans you had you know Tom Brady's over there because he sponsors a car you know the Hertz Jota car of course he has the you know relationship with Hertz because I see him in every single commercial um Branding, baby. Branding. And, and, but he's also his, you know, his clothing brand or whatever it is, is on the uh, Hertz Jota car. And then they had a, a, you know, Charles Leclerc is there for Ferrari, not racing, but he's just there hanging out. And then they had something that I did not see coming. Where the honorary starter, which has been, you know, Fernando Alonso in the past, terrible flag waving until we saw Tim Cook wave the checkered flag at uh, Coda. That was really bad. Pathetic. Um, that was pathetic, but pretty much right on par with Fernando Alonso waving the uh, tricolor to start Le Mans, whatever it was, 10 years ago. That or was pathetic, too. Awful. LeBron James. How this works out, I have no idea, but LeBron James is there as the honorary starter. He waves the tricolor to start the race. Horribly. It was better than Alonso. That's not saying much. It's not saying much. I'll give you that. It's not saying much, but it was better than Alonzo. It was not a great flag wave. I will say that. Let's uh, let's just call it limp wristed. When you here's the thing, if you're throwing out the first pitch for a baseball game, you know what you got to do before you go out to the mound. You got to practice a little you bit. You got to practice. You got to warm up. Got to warm up the pill. Got to get the arm loose. Got to make some you know toss, and you got to throw it sixty feet six inches. Home, you know, mound to home plate. You got to make a couple tosses, 60 feet, six inches. You got to do it. Not 45 feet. Nope. Nope. Got to, don't throw from the grass. Yeah. Got to throw from you the shouldn't. mound. You should But, throw you from know, the they mound. allow that. They do. But you got to throw from the mound. You got to warm it up, warm up the arm, practice it, all that kind of stuff. Get ready. You don't need gas. You just need to put it over the plate, let the catcher frame it. If you are waving the flag to start a race, finish a race, whatever it is, Practice. You got to practice. Number one, the worst possible thing, dropping the flag. Don't drop the flag. Don't do it. Don't drop the flag. That's bad. You know, Alonzo just basically shaking the flag up and down, really awful. LeBron James, it was just not a good flag wave. Like, you got to practice. You got to get your technique down. You look back to like the 70s era of Formula One where they'd have the crazy people like run out onto the track to wave the flag. Those guys are different level, okay? If you could track one of those guys down, pay him $1,000. If you're LeBron James, you can pay that guy, hey, here's 1000 bucks. I saw that video of you doing it, whatever. Come here, show me how to do that. Show, show me how to do something cool. It didn't happen. And so it's just kind of this goofy little flag wave, whatever it is. And It was barely a wiggle. Yeah, it was, it was a wiggle. Uh, but nonetheless, that's how we started off LeBron James. It is cool that we have this crossover from these international athletes and everything here at Le Mans. You know, Tom Brady, you know, world's best football player, world's best basketball player, and LeBron James. Cool to see some crossover in different sports at Le Mans. You'd expect to see something like that at Monaco or Miami Grand Prix. Not really at Le Mans, but they're there at Le Mans this year. I think so. it was marketing hype, you know, LeBron, Le Mans. Ugh. That's a bit of a stretch there. Why that's bad? <laughs> that's like dad joke bad, man. <laughs> well, I don't know. He was he was bad. We need Shaq over there. I, I yeah. You do Shaq. Shaq. We'll get it done. Shaq would get it done. He's big daddy. He's 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 broadcasting the finals and everything right now. So yeah. So bad anyway. timing. I, yeah. 
Um, let's let's jump into the race that was, shall we? So we get to the start. LeBron waves the tricolor. It's a wet, kind of wet, kind of drying track. It's kind of whatever. And where I have a question for you. Please. Um, have you ever been to a sporting event? Where a professional sporting event, where you go to watch that event, and it seems like everybody in that baseball game, lacrosse game, basketball game, hockey game, somehow forgot how to play that sport that they are playing. Never seen it before. No. Um, neither have I. Until yesterday. Because everybody forgot how to drive all of a sudden. Everybody. Up and down the field, amateurs, professionals, LM, er, er, LMP cars, hypercars, GT cars, LMP2 cars. Every single driver out there at one point basically forgot how to do what they were doing. They're professionals, too. Yeah, well, they're, they weren't to yesterday and today. I've never seen a sport wire where it looked like all the teams out there forgot how to win. Like, everybody, it seemed like, throughout the course of the race, forgot how to win. There's a long, long, long time adage in the world of racing that says, in order to finish first, wire... You must first finish. Exactly. In order to finish first, you must first finish. And the other adage... You cannot win the race on the first lap, but also true. You can lose it on 100%. the opening lap. You cannot win the race on the first lap, but you can lose it. In order to finish first, you must first finish. Two idioms that should drive every endurance racing team that everybody should know, that everybody forgot. That all these drivers just threw everything out the window. The fact that they were racing for 24 hours, everybody forgot. The fact that they were on a wet and dry track, everybody forgot. The fact that it's a nine-mile circuit and some areas might be more wet or less wet than others, everybody forgot that. The fact that you're in traffic, the fact that there's other cars nearby, everybody forgot that. And it seemed like it took about 14 hours for anybody to figure that out. It was bizarre. My pick, Action Express in the Cadillac. To win. They made it exactly four miles before they threw it away. First chicane. Maybe it was in only three miles. Literally, the first chicane of the opening lap of the race. Well, to their credit, they did make it through the chicane. They just didn't make it back onto the straightaway. What in the world is going on? And look, okay, you're, 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 all, you're all jacked up. You're ready to go. You got the adrenaline pumping. You have been working towards this moment for not a week. They've, you know, they haven't been there. They've been there two weeks or three or four or whatever it is. They've been testing around the world. They have been preparing for a year or over a year in a lot of cases. Uh, you, you know, everything is finally coming to its culmination, finally coming to its apex. We are starting this race. And you literally throw it away. Half a lap in? How? So here, here are two little tidbits that make it even more bizarre 
if that were possible. The the tires that were on the cars, well, you'd at least be on, on the hypercars. Right. You'd be on enters, enters right? Because it's a, it's a damp track out there. Well, no. Because Michelin brought tires that behave like an enter but have a, tre- a wet tread. And they were designed to fulfill both the wet weather traction capabilities and that period of drying before you go to slicks without the need for an intermediate t- an intermediate tire. And, you know, I think they succeeded based on what I saw. But here is the problem. But the, the the race was also declared a wet race and, at the start. And here and, and here's here's the problem, Wire. In order for those tires to be effective, you know what you have to do? Yeah. You have to put them on the car because they're not going to work when they're sitting in the garage. I am 100% positive of that. Michelin can design the best intermediate, wet, whatever tire in the world. But I guarantee you this. It will not work if it's sitting in the garage. Who started on enters? Who started on wets? I don't think anybody did. Nobody. Because. How long is this race again? It's, it's the it's 24 hours. But it's the finger okay, in front of the it. nose, you know, syndrome. My finger's in front of my nose, and it's not raining on my finger. Therefore, we don't need wet tires. Literally. It's right in front of my nose. I don't need wet tires. My finger's not getting wet. I, I mean, you would think somebody like, and, and, and a team like a Cadillac, too, would show up and say, you know what? Okay, Action Express is over here. Hey, you know, we're we're over here from IMSA. You know, not a lot of people have a lot of faith in us. You know, Cadillac, we're on test at Le Mans. We're going up against Toyota, who's, you know, one. Why don't we try something different? Why don't we try a unique strategy? You know what? Everybody's starting on dries. Why don't we start on this enter? We know the track's wet. We know it's wet in a lot of areas. People aren't out there parading around. It's going to take a few laps for it to dry. Maybe we start on enters. We you know, maybe we get out into the lead and we we could lead for a little bit. Maybe we, we pull out 10, 15, 20 seconds or something like that. They have radar. They're not blind to this. They, they know that the track is wet. You can look on cameras that are around the track that they have access to and see where the water is puddled up on the track. But nobody starts on enters. They start on dries. They, you know, they, they start crashing on the first lap of a 24-hour race because they're on dry tires, they're coming out of a corner, they stomp on the you know on the throttle, and guess what? They hit a wet patch. You hit a wet patch on slick tires when you're stomping on the throttle. Car's not going straight anymore. It's going to go sideways. That's what happened. Ripped off the entire left front corner of the Action Express. Look, they got the car back out, but they done. They done. Just like that. Yeah, just think, just think about that. Okay, you go to Le Mans, there's been a buildup. You know, for a year, you know, when when it was announced that you finally had a spec spec of car that would allow you to compete at the greatest endurance race in the world, and you know, you're you've got factory efforts. You know, you put a team together, two you know two teams together, all the testing, all the practice, all the travel, all the preparation. And then you 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 know you assign three or four drivers to partner together, all with the same goal, 
and you have a support team of, you know, 20 to 40 people there at the racetrack doing everything from data to, you know, pit changes and windshield wipes and all that. And you put it in the wall on the first lap three miles in. I, I, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how you go back to the pits and hold your head up. I, I don't know either. I, I, it was so frustrating to see one car effort from Action Express. And, uh, I mean, literally, this is this is a team that I'm thinking, oh, I'm so excited to see them because they, they're, they're a great team. They're a great team, and this was just dumb. This was just dumb. Well, if there's comfort in numbers, they certainly should feel comfortable. They should feel comfortable because that was the start of uh, okay so that happens then you got a bunch of p2 cars spinning off you know under caution we had so many accidents under caution too of cars just running off the track and getting beached on gravel you know hey there's a caution up ahead okay you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go park in the gravel over there i you know look i i've i've never been to lamont i've never raced at lamont so i'm not anywhere in that level but i you know you went through scca you know training and all that kind of stuff you got your license what part of the license says hey when you see a caution up ahead go park it in the gravel i don't remember seeing I don't that. remember that neither do i but it seems you like yeah we're licensed as well yeah i was never came across that no, in no, any of never the saw uh, that. literature but everybody races training but everybody racing Le Mans this year seemed to be the move oh caution Better go put it in the gravel trap. Oh, there's a caution. And this was not, because, you, you know, you have slow zones here and slow zones there and all that kind of stuff. We can get into that. But this is, like, literally in the caution area. And, oh, yep, better go park it in the gravel now. It's like, everybody's telling you, slow down. There's a problem up ahead. We've got waving yellow flags everywhere. You've got a screen in the car screaming at you, slow down. Caution, caution, you're in a caution zone. You know what you should do when you see that? Slow down. Somebody just crashed here, right? Something happened. We're not sure what. We don't know what happened. They could have just broke. You know, hey, maybe they're, you know, maybe they just got a flat tire. Or maybe the track's wet or maybe something happened. Maybe they got bumped off. You know what? I better slow it down, not end up in the gravel trap where they are. Oh, wait, nope. I'm going to park it right next to them in the gravel trap. The odd part of that is that nobody else learned from others' mistakes. Because it kept happening. So we have our first safety car. And I where well, I said 50 minutes was the time. Five yeah, zero. I thought you were absolutely out to lunch on that. 36 minutes was the first safety car length. So I win the under, but I'm not proud of it. Yeah, you, you win, but that's uh, not by much. I think, what do we have, two or three safety cars? We didn't have many. Well, I will tell you that uh, nine hours in, they put a graphic up that... Uh, had safety cars, safety car time coupled with full course yellow time, and it was three hours of the nine hours that yeah. had, the race had you know completed at that point. And that's not a good record. I'm sorry. You know, okay, we have the safety car, we get the wave buys, all that kind of stuff, and and everything. And look, it, it took a long time, but they're also out there repairing barriers and stuff. And they kept having to repair barriers all the time because people kept crashing in spectacular fashion. And it wasn't just these caution periods to go dig somebody up out of the gravel. People were crashing and running into 
Armco and they'd have to go out and repair the Armco. And it went like that for the first 14 hours of the race, basically. You know, we'd get going. We couldn't really get into a groove. We couldn't really get anything going. You know, something would happen, and then there would be a little bit of rain somewhere. Everybody would crash again because nobody wanted to go to the wet weather tires. No, those are going to be slow. We don't want those tires. Oh, we just crashed. Our race is over. But guess what? We weren't slow. Yeah, you know, I mean, even with the wet weather tires, I mean, they seemed to work well. The pace was decent. Uh, you know, there was some racing going on on them, and I think the, uh, you know, the technology that they built into these tires kind of proved their worth. And because, you know, the the standard wet weather tire with any sort of drying on the track would just disintegrate, and it would lose pace, and they were dangerous to be on. You had to get in and get you know an right. inter- intermediate tire put on. We didn't see any of that, so you know, credit to Michelin for you know going the length to design a tire and and then showing that it can work uh, because if it's going to fail at you know anywhere it'll fail at Le Mans given the speeds and yet with all of the knowledge of that gained in the very first few hours of the race people would still overdrive the tires yeah you know they would drive them like I, I guess it's you know like a false confidence that you know you the tire, the, the wet weather tires don't go off, so you feel like they're always going to be there, and you suddenly drive them like they're slicks. You can't do that. They're still a wet weather tire. Yeah, yeah, you can't. But, you know, people didn't learn the lesson. And here's the other thing, too. You know, there's, what, 60 cars in the race or whatever. There's 180 drivers. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you have to marshal all those uh, 180 egos and levels of talent and levels of discernment and judgment and all that stuff to the single fact that you can't win the race even three hours in no you can only win the race at the end of 24 hours right but you can certainly lose it yeah and that was very evident today what what we had okay ferrari starts from the lead then here comes the toyota uh after you know some safety after the first safety car and all that kind of stuff toyota passes the ferrari they get up front. They're leading. We cycle through some pit stops and all that kind of stuff. Porsche gets up there. Porsche is leading. So here we are at Le Mans. And the way Le Mans used to work is you would go, oh, it's Audi's and the Peugeot this year, you know. I, I really think that the Peugeots have a chance of challenging the Audis. Yeah, yeah, I think the Peugeots, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, Peugeots, they're really going to challenge the Audis this year. Green flag would fly or the tricolor would fly. The Audis would check out. We wouldn't see him again, and that was it. Oh, well, I guess they weren't going to challenge him this year. Oh, yeah, Toyota. Toyota you know, yeah, who's going to challenge Toyota this year? Oh, the Porsche, and, you know, yeah, it could be a real challenge. Yeah, and then whoever, Toyota would check out, Porsche would check out, whoever it was would check out. That did not happen this year. We had Ferrari leading laps, Toyota leading laps, Porsche leading laps, Cadillac leading laps, and... Um, Peugeot leading laps. And one thing that all of those teams had in common, um, not only did they all lead laps, but I think every single one of them crashed out from the lead at one point. Well, that, 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 that's how crazy this is. LMP2 was very similar in that regard. I, it was. And, and every same thing's going on in P2. You know, um, the, uh, 
uh, who is the Era Motorsports? Uh, was Era Motor, Motorsports or Tower Motorsports? Sorry. Tower Motorsports. Tower yeah. Motorsports. You know, uh, Ricky Taylor's driving for him, pulling for them. They crashed out in a huge fashion. GT has a bunch of crashes. Like half the GT field didn't finish. Um, tons of non-finishers uh, this year. But what we did have is literally you you a, a car would make it to the lead and then they would crash out for something silly. You know, look, the Toyota's in the lead. You know, night has fallen. There's a slow zone up ahead. And Sebastian Bourdais actually said, was talking about this during the race, these advents, the advent of these slow zones. And there's like, I don't, I don't know, 12, 15, 10, however many slow zones, different zones there are on the circuit. The way the slow zone works is in the car, they have this like, you know, pit to car message center that, you know, shows up and it says, Next slow, meaning next zone is slow. So you're in zone one, zone two, or whatever. You're in zone two, knows you're in zone two. Well, zone three is a slow zone, meaning max speed 80 kilometers per hour. When you're in zone two for the slow zone in zone three, you got to slow down to 80 kph. Okay? So you got to slow down to 80 kilometers an hour before you get to the start of zone three. All of zone three is, is slow, but it could be... All of zone three and zone four and zone five. Then you could get green again for zone six. And then zone seven would say, you know, slow ahead kind of thing. Um, or next slow. And then zone nine could be slow. Uh, and then ten's green. And so it's this this thing that they were doing where you have all these different slow zones and then somebody would run off track and, okay, zone Okay, zone two is now green, but zone five is now slow, and everything's changing so fast, and it's confusing to a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, Sebastian Bourdais included, who is not a novice out there at all. Not by any means. So, you know, you've got fast zones, slow zones, all that kind of stuff. It's changing all the time. It gets confusing for drivers. It's difficult to follow. Well, the Toyota that's leading is a victim of that at one point where they come over the, um, I think this is going into Tet Rouge or maybe it was coming down, no, it was coming down into Indianapolis. Yeah, it's coming yeah. down to Indianapolis. Which Tet Rouge and Indianapolis was the site of like just pileups all weekend. Coming down into Indianapolis, you know, come over a little crest of the hill and, you know, they're in a next slow zone, meaning the next zone is slow. Well, the GT car in front, I guess, took it upon themselves to slow down to 80 kph um, uh, uh, in the next slow zone, not the slow zone. Who knows who's driving whatever. Well, Kamui Kombiashi comes upon him. You're not supposed to pass. He's doing, I don't know, 100-something miles an hour, not kilometers an hour. Comes on this GT car going super slow. He slams on the brakes, avoids hitting him, but what happens all the cars behind him pile into the back of him, knock him out of the race. They done for the car. You know, they can't get it. Should he have? I, I, he should have just gone by him, take the penalty. I mean, slamming on the brakes, you know, so, oh, I don't want to yeah. pass the especially guy under yellow. Especially having just crested, you know, a hilltop kind of little, you know, plateau, and then it goes down on the yeah. other side. You got to think, I almost ran into the back of this guy. Who's almost, or who's going to run into the back of me yeah. now? Well, a bunch of people did, and day done for them. You know, I, you have a bunch, you know, Cadillacs crashing out, 
uh, running all over the place, running off. And, and you had a lot of people, you know, running into barriers and busting up Armco all over the place. Everybody had lost their, lost their darn minds, Wire. You know, just, all right, you're in the lead. Let's manage the lead here. Nope. Let's do something silly. Let's run off the circuit. Let's, you know, run off the track. Let's get beached in the gravel. Let's do that time and time again. Peugeot, in their home race, which, by the way, Peugeot, no rear wing on the car. Basically, it's designed for Le Mans, designed for top speed, designed to run at Le Mans, no rear wing on it at all. Really unique idea. Think it's cool, all that kind of stuff. So, of course, you know, failure in a big way down the Mulsanne or something like that. No. They get on the throttle or they late break themselves going into the Daytona chicane, going into the first chicane again at Le Mans and out of, you know, basically out of the race. From the lead. The amount of people who crashed from the lead, it, it, was, it just happened time and time again. Where you see every time, you know, at Le Mans, it's a nine-mile circuit, so, oh, Oh, somebody just wrecked. Who just wrecked? Oh, it's the leader in GT. Oh, it's the leader in Hypercar. Oh, it's the leader in LMP2. That is normally not the case, but it was the case today. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of befuddling because, you know, these are the best of the best. You know, you can look down the uh, the starting grid and you just see, you know, phenomenally talented racers from all disciplines all showing up to compete against one another. And then, I mean, it looked like a Saturday afternoon go-kart race. Yeah. Where, you know, they think they're invincible despite the weather. And, you know, they all forgot how, you know, how good racing happens. It's just like, go as fast as you can. You know, if you can't pass him, you know, run into him and, you know, whatever. It's just, it was comical for you know a good period of time yeah. and especially when you know i've always been the one to defend sports car racers when you know we we would poke fun at nascar they, well those guys don't race in the rain why don't those guys race in the rain on their road courses why don't they well they finally did yeah they finally implemented it you know and and yeah they do all right i mean i'm not saying that they're you know world class but you know that we were always chided that NASCAR drivers, these are the greatest drivers in the world, Formula One. These are the greatest drivers in the world. Some of the Le Mans participants have been lauded as some of the best in the world. Yeah. And they still, I mean, this, this thing turned into, you know, kind of Keystone Cops for a while. It, it really did. It, it, it was it was such a, it was a great race in the sense that I had no idea who was going to win sure. throughout the basically the entire race. Because normally at Le Mans, it's decided about an hour or two in. All right, unless they break or do something really stupid, you know, Audi's going to win, Porsche's going to win, Toyota's going to win. Nobody has anything for them. Every car in hypercar was competitive. Every single car was competitive. Save the Van Wall and the Glickenhaus, all right? But any other car up there could have won this race. Mm-hmm. Any single car could have won this race in hypercar. Porsche could have easily won this race. Toyota could have easily won this race. Cadillac could have easily won this race. Peugeot could have easily won this race. Ferrari could have easily won this race, and Toyota could have easily run this race. But all of them lost their minds, and none of them drove it. Eventually, I think what happened is after about 12 or 14 hours, 
After the Peugeot crashed out from the lead, the Toyota had crashed out from the lead. Cadillac was leading for a little bit, and they had problems in the pits and all that kind of stuff. Porsche was pretty much not a non-factor at about the 14, 12, or 14-hour mark because they had had a lot of just issues with the car itself. Um, so they were out, but it was still kind of anybody's race, but then it comes down to a race between Ferrari and uh, Toyota at the end of the day. And what was really interesting is how they were managing all these slow zones and the advent of all these slow zones. And, oh, well, where, you know, where is this slow zone? Where is that slow zone? If it's a slow, down, slow zone down the Mulsanne versus, you know, you really do not want to be in the pits when that slow zone down the Mulsanne, then the full length of the Mulsanne, all of a sudden goes green again. You're sitting there in the pits, and all of a sudden, everybody, instead of going 80 kilometers an hour, is now going 300 kilometers an hour. So the strategy behind when you pit and when they think it's going to go green again and everything was really kind of interesting. Um, and Ferrari's leading. Toyota comes back. They pass them. Uh, Ferrari's now back. And basically, through some excellent, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, through some excellent strategy, and management in the pits, Ferrari, without the advent of, you know, lapping and safety cars and all that kind of stuff, which did come into play in some other classes, but not here, they were able to work their way back up basically through strategy decisions. You know, they're down by 40, 50 seconds, something like that. That's, that's okay, how are we going to make this up? Well, we've got to manage these slow zones in a, in a proper manner. We've got to, okay, we've got to time our pit stops appropriately. We've got to make sure we're at the right spot on track and we're doing what we can do. You can't just go out there and just throw up your hands and go, yeah, we're on track in the slow zone. Oh, well, that's it. It's the same for everybody because it's not the same for everybody. There's a very good chance that you could go through, you know, sector six or whatever it is, and the car right behind you could crash. All right? Slow zone. Right, right out of the gate. So every car that's now going through is through that coming through that slow zone takes three and a half minutes roughly to, to lap. Well, if they get that cleared in two minutes, they're going to lift the slow zone. So you who just went through because of where you were in track position, you didn't get affected by that slow zone. It's not like they do it the same for everybody. Okay, well, we've cleared the accident. Everything's cleared off, but we got to make sure everybody has spent the same amount of time in this slow zone in sector six. No, when the issues gone they left the slow zone so half the field or three quarters of the field were affected by it but the other quarter were not and basically through tr track position management of all that ferrari was able to make up a ton of time on the toyota so what you're saying is they didn't behave like scuderia ferrari no they didn't and this is not the scuderia who's running this this is af course who is running this okay yes it's the you know, it's, it's as factory as it can get for Ferrari, but it is not the Scuderia who runs the Formula One strategy. Because if it was, they would have completely screwed it up. But they had it figured out, and they were able to make up time, get back to battling um, with Toyota. Toyota's, you know, they're on track with, you know, four hours left, three hours left, two hours left. And it's this back-and-forth thing. You know, who is going to win this? No idea. Okay, yeah, one's 12 seconds down, but then they make that up. You know, they're six seconds down. They pass. They, you know, they're three seconds. I mean, it's this back-and-forth thing between Toyota and Ferrari. 
until what do you think happens, Wire? Rain? No. Toyota crashes. Of course. On the last lap? No, not on the last lap. But with an hour and a half lap left, what does Toyota do? They crash the car. They crash the car. And basically they're, you know, competing for the overall race win for the hypercar win against Ferrari. They crash the car with whatever it is, an hour left or something like that. They limp it back to the pits. You know, they get some fixes in there. And then they get back out, but they're a minute and a half behind at this point. Can't catch up to, to the Ferrari. And Ferrari goes on to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. Ferrari, first time since 1965 that Ferrari has won the 24 hours of Le Mans. Crazy to think that it has been that long. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, that's that's why they put this hypercar program together because they've said since its inception, since they announced that they wanted to go back to Le Mans. And, you know, they've had successes in, you know, junior categories, but they wanted to go back to Le Mans and win overall. Yeah, well, they did. They did, and good on them. Um, look, they were not without fault. They had some issues throughout the night and everything, um, but they had fewer issues. You know, Toyota finishes in second. Cadillac finishes in third. When's the last time we saw three different manufacturers on the podium at Le Mans? Very rare. I mean, that's what's so exciting about this. We had so many different teams. Any team could have won this race if they just would have stayed out of trouble. They just couldn't help themselves. They're like junkies, man. They just can't help themselves. They know it's not good for them. They know they should be on the wet tire. They know they should, you know, take it a little bit easy coming out of this, but they just can't help themselves. And they pretty much every single team paid the price. You had another Cadillac in fourth. Uh, the other Ferrari, uh, you had another Ferrari finishing um uh, finishing in fifth, uh, Glickenhaus, which everybody had written off, myself included, finishes sixth and seventh. They ran a remarkably clean race. Had they had a little more pace, they could have won. And they you know just what? Didn't. They didn't battle with anybody. No. And, and that was, you know, now maybe it was just, you know, that the camera never put any, uh, you know, any time on them. But you didn't see them, you know, battling back and forth with other hypercars, you know, to maintain or gain position. They just kind of, you know, and they weren't without their problems. They they put the car in the wall at once one point in time, but they just kind of went out there, the the little engine that could, so to speak, and yeah. stayed out of trouble for the most part. They just didn't have the pace, but, yeah. you know, they finished seven and nine laps down respectively, but still. Top 10 out of 16 cars, most of them you know, manufacturer-related yeah. efforts. Not bad. No, not bad at all uh, for uh, for Glickenhaus. Uh, LMP2, Inter-Europol uh, wins uh, there. Uh, good for them. Team WRT finishes in second. And the Duquesne team? Yeah, Duquesne. Duquesne, okay. Duquesne team uh, finishes in third there. LMP2, lots of crashing going on. Same idea as Hypercar. Um, also had the LMP2 Pro-Am. Uh, Algarve Pro Racing wins there. Colin Braun uh, was uh, driving for him, so an American on the podium, which is uh, nice there in the LMP2 Pro-Am um, uh, category. Let's get to LMGT. Last year for uh, this category, look, it, it's not the same 
yeah, there's a bunch of Porsches there. There's, you know, Corvette there, all that kind of stuff. Aston Martin's there as well. Um, it's not the factory efforts and everything, but still some great teams, some great drivers and everything. The Iron Dames team um, was performing incredibly well. Uh, they're leading all women, all women uh, Porsche team. They're leading with like four hours left, three hours left, something like that. And they had led for a while too. And they're driving a, a, a great race at this point. Then it just all kind of starts to fall apart. They can't keep the pace there. Um, here comes the Corvette. Corvette passes them. A couple other cars, you know, another car passes them. They have a bad uh, last pit stop. They cost them an extra 30 seconds or so. And the Iron Dames team uh, goes from leading the race with two hours left or whatever is three hours left maybe to finishing fourth, not even on the podium. And it was it was really a great effort from them. Uh, it just didn't, they just couldn't finish it kind of thing. Um, here's what you did have. Uh, which was exciting, which is always nice to see. We had the American, uh, the, the Star Spangled Banner, uh, playing on, uh, playing at Le Mans today uh, because Corvette won in their final go in the LMGT uh, category. They win. Nikki Katzberg, uh, Nicholas Verone, and Ben Keating, who ran this team, ran this effort. It's a pro. It's you know, it's an amateur class GT Am. So. You know, he's the am. He's the money behind the whole thing. Convinced, you know, the Pratt Miller boys, hey, I'm going to fund this thing. Let's go over and do it. He gets the win. Knock on wood. Let's knock on some wood. Through scrutineering. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, yes. Uh, um, ben Keating gets a win, and I'm excited to see it. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, very nice. I, very nice. You know, he he is a character uh, as, as, as much as you can say a character. You know, there's this guy who's – Got all these car dealerships and everything and, and all that kind of stuff. Texas guy and just, you know, he is a character. Of course, he won in the Ford GT, a customer-run Ford GT uh, program a few years ago uh, and then was bounced after scrutineering. They found out that the um, fuel cell was like, a, you know, a skosh too big. And when I say a skosh too big, I mean it was literally like, the, let's say it was limited to, you know, 20 liters and fit like 20 point two or something like that. I mean, didn't make hell beans a difference, but credit to Ben Keating when that happened. You he know, took he, it like a Texan. He did. He took it so well. He took it so well, which is not what we've seen from a lot of people uh, in the world of racing, uh, especially professionals. Um, here's a guy who, you know, this is his dream come true. You know, winning, you know, in a Ford GT uh, at Le Mans, and they say, no, look, you know, hey, you're getting bounced. Uh, not not going to work. He said, well, you know what? That's the rules. The rules say 20 liters. You put in 20.2. That's that. All right. You know, look, I, we didn't get an advantage in this, that, and the other thing and all that kind of stuff, but doesn't matter. doesn't matter. That's the rules. As far as we know, everything's good now. Let's hope it stays good because that would just be crushing. I couldn't <laughs> imagine that <laughs> if it happened a second time, but... Uh, that was exciting to see, uh, Corvette winning and, and, and Ben Keating getting the victory, and hopefully it'll stick this time. Uh, so good for good for Ben, Ke uh, ben Keating and Nikki Katzberg um, and the Corvette team. You know, not the normal drivers that we're used to seeing there, Nikki Katzberg, but not necessarily the, uh, um, you know, not the, uh, you know, the Jordan Taylors and that sort of thing. Jordan Taylor was there, 
um, but he was a coach for the Garage 56 entry, which ended up finishing um, 39th uh, overall. Uh, they had some problems late in the race, but you know ran a good race, all that kind of stuff. And um, where they really struggled apparently was in the wet. So when it was wet, they were when it was dry, they were two or three seconds a lap faster than a lot of the GT cars. When it was wet, 10 to 15 seconds a lap slower. Yeah, Just no traction happen. control, 700 horsepower versus, you know, high 400s to 500 in the GT cars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you can't use all that horsepower, and, and there's nothing... Just, you know, the way NASCAR is designed, it's there are no traction aids, and there's no way to turn any traction aids on or off. It's just always off, so... Um. So we had 62 cars start the race, 40 cars finished. A third of the cars crashed out. A third of the cars DNF'd. Yeah, I, all credit to the marshals and the record drivers and the God, safety were, crew. I mean, they did have a a, a very interesting uh, new development with these uh, the roof hooks. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very interesting what they do to move these cars because before, okay. The car is, you know, beached on the gravel. We would hook it up and, tr you know, pull it out, um, you know, with a wrecker, basically. You pull it out with a wrecker, and what comes with it is, you know, about, I don't know, a cubic yard of gravel, it seems like, half the time. Splitters get ripped off, all that kind of stuff. It takes a while, then they got to go sweep the track off. And then, you know, once the car gets going again, they hit the brakes, and all this gravel shoots out the, you know, the brake ducts and everything. Yeah, they got these hooks on the car now. So they go over, they have this little harness, hooks up to the hooks on the top of the car, they lift it up, they drop it back on the track and send them on your way. Yeah, assuming that the car is still running, which is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the responsibility of the driver. But even damaged cars were allowed to limp their way back. Yeah. Um, and the process was greatly reduced. Now, you know, say what you will about the uh, slow zones and the implementation of all that, as well as the fallbacks... You know, for reclassification, which, you know, we talked about it. You thought it was going to be 50 minutes. First one went 36 minutes. Um, it's not great yet. I think there's, there's a bunch of tweaking that needs to be done. Um, they shouldn't need five or six laps to get it done. It should be no. done, especially on an eight and a half or almost nine mile track. No. Yeah. It should be done in two laps. So, and this was part of the issue. What they would do is they wouldn't wave around anybody until everything was clear, essentially. So those wave arounds need to occur at a earlier time frame. Um, I'm, a, I'm afraid that they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I love that they did this. Uh, they probably could have had a lot more safety cars, but they I think they pulled it back because they were had so many safety cars that were so long. Love that we have one safety car instead of three now. Love that we bunch people up. Love that we give people back their lap if they're in between the you know leader in class and the safety car. I, I really like all of that. Uh, could it get better? Yes. Does it need to get better? Yes. The way to do it is... Don't wait until everything is done. You don't have to wait until everything is done. Okay, we're cleaning up the wreck. That's going to take 20 minutes. Okay, you got it all clean? Good. Now we can start. No. No, the track is big enough that you can do exactly. all the rest of this stuff. Exactly. On the other side of the track from where the incident is. Just... Exactly. Okay, here's the deal. We're not going to wait till we get the start finished to do it. No. 
And, and the way it was like, okay, send the uh, send the hypercars, send the GT cars. Send the, it's like no, just send them. Just just go. Just everybody go. All right. If you're you know if you're one of these cars, go go now. And when you get to that section of the track, slow it down, man. Where's that? Where's that wreck? Section six, because we know we had enough slow zones throughout the course of the race. That's a slow zone for everybody. Okay, go through section six slow. There's no passing, all that kind of stuff. Okay, you get back. Okay, pick it back up, catch back up. You can get this done in a lap or two. It does not need to take as much time as it did. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, WEC. It's good that you're doing this now. It's so much better than the old way of three safety cars and basically artificially creating these issues. Now, on safety cars, uh, or on, on slow zones, wire, it played a major issue in everything today. You know, Ferrari played their cards right and was able to make up a lot of time because of them. Um, because of good strategy, all that kind of stuff, and knowing, okay, slow zone here, pit, slow zone over here, don't pit, you know, almost on whatever. And, and that's how they played the game, and they won because of, not because of that, but it certainly helped. And we have this issue where, you know, on on the same lap, basically, you will have one car will run a three-minute and 35-second lap or three-minute, 30-second lap, whatever it is. And then another car on that same lap will run a four-minute and 15-second lap uh, in the same class. Uh, not because that one that's running the 4.15 broke. It's because they got caught in the slow zone and the other car didn't. Are, are we are we getting a little what is this good is it bad is it indifferent does it all just come out in the wash do we need to worry about it should it change I I don't know the answer to it yet we need to keep the marshals safe they did yeoman's work um, this this entire weekend they were so busy um, at all hours of the day you know night whatever time it was they were crazy busy first things first we got to keep them safe. Are they safe enough with slow zones being working on track? I mean, a lot of times it, it you know, it looks like they were doing roadworks out there or something. You know, they got they got people out there welding. They got you know guys on motorcycles driving around. They got you know wreckers out there. They got cranes. They got you know the, you know vans and stuff of 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 with, that show up with the drop off a bunch of men that just have like giant wrenches and welding material and stuff, and they're putting new things on and taking old things off and. I don't know. Is a slow zone enough? I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we didn't have an incident between, it, you know, anybody and a car. Uh, but it seemed like we had not necessarily a lot of close calls that I saw, but just just a lot of people lo- working in proximity and fairly close close proximity to a lot of cars going by at, you know, decent enough speed. Yeah, I mean, I think the the slow zones have merit. Le Mans is the only track on the schedule that's going to have the sheer number of slow zones. You can do that at any racetrack, but you're going to have, you know, three to five slow zones, basically. Um, you know, maybe a few more if you're running Sebring or something like that, yeah. just because of the the design of the track. But, um, you know, 14 slow zones, sometimes a little difficult to keep track of, especially if you're in the car. There's multiple incidents, as you said earlier, you know, slow zone in three and four, Five and six are hot, then seven is, you know, slow again. So it's a lot to keep track of. Uh, The onus for keeping track of all this stuff is put on the teams, 
you know, you have the message board inside the car, but, you know, the teams are largely responsible for keeping the driver informed. And so, you know, does some of that fall on the teams? I, I don't know. I mean, no design is perfect. It's It didn't, uh, I mean, it accomplished a lot in terms of, you know, keeping the, the cars on the racetrack and not disrupting the racing too much. I think the weather really uh, did more disruption than yeah. the actual slow zones did. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it can be fixed. Um, I'm with you in saying that it doesn't need to be uh, wholesale dispensed with. It just needs to be tweaked, and, it, you know, they need to learn from any mistakes that were made and, and just make it better. I'm 100% for, for keeping the marshals safe, too. So. Yeah. And, you know, that was a uh, that was an event that saw a lot of martial involvement. Yes, it did. Um, that's not always the case. Yeah. I, no, it's not, but a, a lot of it. Um, I got the official number here. How many zones do you think there are at Le Mans? I'll stick with 14. 14. What if I tell you you were not just wrong, but you were way wrong? So be it. <laughs> 35. That's crazy. And I, I know what they're doing. They have nine different sectors and 35 zones. They're trying to minimize the zones, you know, making them minimize the size of the zones. Right. To decrease the influence of the zones on the race. Right. Because if you did just, oh, it's a nine-mile track. If you did 18 zones and every every zone was a half a mile. Yeah then a lot of cars would get caught in that half a mile because the rest of the track is green. The rest of the track is going around at, you know, 280 kilometers an hour. And, you know, you're stuck in an 80 kilometer an hour zone for a half a mile. So they make more zones to make them smaller and less influential. But, again, that's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. You know, in a weather, you know, stricken race where there's a lot of activity, uh, you know, a lot of cars going off, a lot of cars hitting barriers, a lot of, um, you know, workers on track and so on and so forth. It's a lot. So I doesn't need to some adjustment yet. What? I don't know yet. I don't know. But it did create a lot of issues, a lot of wrecks. We had multiple people basically running into the back of other cars. It obviously, it knocked out Toyota from the lead, but it happened to other cars throughout the entire race, slowing down for a slow zone. Then somebody else comes up on it, you know. I mean, this, this, you see this happen on the highway all the time. Well, it happened at Le Mans all the time too. Um, needs a little adjustment, but we'll 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 figure that out. Overall, wire. Um, I thought it was a great race. Enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, love that Le Mans was back and all that kind of stuff. Um, would have loved to have seen it be a little bit cleaner, but love that we have some competition. I'm looking forward to to this continuing uh, and everything. Yeah, I look forward to, you know, the the prospect of an increased level of competition at the pointy end of the field because, you know, did we like, you know, the, the the Audi domination? Yeah, for a little bit it was okay. It wasn't great, you know, for the entirety of it. Did we like seeing Toyota? Yeah, it was great watching Toyota get their first Le Mans win and then their second and so forth. But, you know, it got old after a while. Yeah. Um Right now, what we're seeing and, you know, the prospect of seeing a couple more, you know, manufacturers enter in next year, uh, the racing is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Highly competitive. 
and good competition across the board. Absolutely. So, uh, well, that's the 2023 running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, sold out event, all that kind of good stuff. Um, enjoyed it. One more thing. One more thing. Motor Trend. Motor Trend broadcasted the race for 12 hours, no. 10 hours, no. 18 hours, no. I think 26 hours of coverage they had. Kudos to Motor Trend. And shame, 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 shame on everybody on the internet. On, on all these Facebook groups, I'm on some of these IMSA Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. All anybody did was just throw hate at, at Motor Trend and how terrible the coverage was, how they didn't, well, they didn't show this enough. They didn't show that enough. My God, man. 26 hours of coverage, literally flag to flag with pre-race, with post-race, all that kind of stuff. And not some, pretty much everybody on the internet is complaining about the coverage of this race. Shut up, man. Get a life. We, we, we didn't have to go on some weird website to find something. I didn't have to, you know, get out the, the, the rabbit ears. I didn't have to get on a shortwave radio to listen to this thing. Pay for a streaming subscription. No, I didn't have to do any of that. Right. I had to do none of that. I turned on my TV, and it was right there for the entire race. Those keyboard warriors are devoted to the hate, aren't they? Oh, they love it so much. They're awful. I, I'm literally, because, you know, I... I Okay, the IMSA stuff, you look at it, I'm like, I'm done with this. I, I can't stand these people. What is wrong with these people? Why are sports car fans so miserable? Why are they so awful? You know, I mean, there's some truth to the idea that everybody's a critic, but you have to look at things in perspective. We're not guaranteed 24-hour coverage of the 24 hours of Le Mans. No. It could easily go away. Yes. Because... I would argue it's probably not a moneymaker. No. No, I guarantee it's not. You know, they're buying coverage. You know, they're putting their own commentators in there. They're putting their own pit people in there. It's a partnership, apparently, with WEC TV or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, organizational uh, crossover. But you just were able to spend an entire Saturday and Sunday watching, you know, a race that we all love to watch, you know, not entirely uninterrupted but even the commercials weren't that long no they weren't i look i was a little bit tired of seeing some of them um but it's not as bad as hockey and that stupid pete davidson commercial that i keep seeing in every hockey game and all that kind of stuff nobody but anyway, wants to see pete davidson no i i, I don't get it period I, he, here's here's a guy who keeps failing up man uh, but anyway um has he started dating Giselle Buchan yet? Has he started dating Tom Brady's ex yet? I don't give that any moment of thought. Okay. Well, anyway, he is just a, anyway. All right. I, but you, we have this race on on a network on TV. It's so great to finally have it. And you're you're right. The commercials aren't that bad. They're not that intrusive. They're relatively short. Much better than a college football game. And Everybody, everybody complaining about the coverage. They're oh, they're so awful. Sports car fans are so awful. It's almost like they try to one one up each other. Yeah. On you know the criticism. Yeah. I can't even it's watch not a badge anymore. Of honor. A, it's I, it's real. I mean, you're just a jerk. Yeah, man. most you're people just, just look jerk. at you. You're not an expert. 
Oh. Even if you were an expert, you know, I mean, just you gotta you gotta read the room, you know. You're just a jerk. We're a very small percentage of the viewing population Teeny and tiny. yet Teeny tiny. Yet this channel decided to devote twenty six hours of coverage to our favorite, you know, or one of our favorite endurance races. Yeah. That, you know, we would probably, you know, give two or three toes to actually attend in person. Yeah. But we don't have to because we want we can watch twenty six hours of it on television. And yet, you know, you have to, you know, log in and spew bile and everything and act like some, you know, some expert when really all you are is just an unhappy person. Yeah, you're just a miserable, miserable person. Um, By the way, when you hear everybody talk about the Indy 500 uh, and you hear all these people talk about, oh, yeah, you know, I'm from Indianapolis and I always grew up listening to it on TV or listening to it on the radio. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I'm from I'm from Indianapolis, and I'm from the area, and I, I grew up listening to the race on the radio all the time, and everything. And you're thinking, oh, that's really cool. This, you know, nostalgic thing of listening on the radio and all that kind of stuff. You don't understand why they listen on the radio, do you? And that's what these these are the people who say, oh, isn't that cool? Yeah, they listen on the radio. They listen on the radio because the Indianapolis 500 is not broadcast on TV. In Indianapolis, not live at least. It's not broadcast live on TV because it's not a sellout. Maybe that's changed now with, with Roger Penske, but for years, if you wanted to, they the, the first time they ever did it, I think, was the 100th running of the Indy 500 that it actually aired in Indianapolis. All right, so you want to complain about something? That's something that you could complain about. Because the race wasn't a sell. I mean, it's 350,000 you know, tickets they can sell. They sell 348,000. Well, no, nope, didn't sell it out. Therefore, we're not going to show the race on TV. They would show it on a race on a tape delay five, six hours later. That's why everybody talks about listening to the race on the radio that are that's from Indianapolis. Because they can't watch it on TV. Wherever we are, we can watch something from France for 26 hours. And people are still going to complain about it. It's astounding. It's astounding to me how awful sports car fans are sometimes. Let's move on from that. And, and look, I'm a sports car fan. We've complained about broadcasting and all that kind of stuff in the past. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, kudos to Motor Trend. Thanks to them. Wire, we got to be quick here. Uh, we've got a race next week. Uh, Canadian Grand Prix. Um, Is that French enough, you know, to continue the momentum? We're in Montreal. So, yeah. Why not? We. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, hey, Canadian Grand Prix. Circuit Jill Villeneuve in Montreal. Great track. Uh, love watching races from here. We've seen lots of exciting stuff uh, happen there. We had the longest F1 race in the history of Formula One uh, was was there a few years ago. Um, that was, you know, from first to worst to back to first. And we've had some great, crazy stuff going on uh, in Montreal. Some incredible passes, some incredible moves, all that kind of stuff. High, high speed Hard braking zones, lots of passing opportunities, all that kind of stuff. DRS certainly going to play a factor here. Does anybody have anything for Red Bull Wire? No. Wire? Except Daddy Fern. You know, it's always a better radio show if we could, you know, maybe maybe disagree a little bit. You know, maybe, oh, I think that Mercedes is really going to be uh, the, the car to beat here this weekend. Guess what? You're absolutely right. Red Bull is going to win this race. Max Verstappen's going to win. We've we've solidified that Checo doesn't have it. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I wish he did, but he doesn't. He's not as good as Max. Uh, Max is a better driver. Uh, he's got that killer instinct. Uh, he's going to continue to kill. The only way he doesn't win is if the car breaks, basically. You sound like Will Power. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, that's kind of where we are this, this season. Maybe it'll change. The Mercedes is getting better, but it's not competing with the Red Bulls yet. Um, you know, who knows what will happen. This is not the track for it. Red Bulls are incredibly fast in a straight line. That is their key to success, is how fast they are in a straight line. And this is a straight line speed track. It is it is a fast, fast track. Yeah, you got the twisty back section, uh, but, you know, that long front stretch, that long run down to the, uh, you know, to the uh, front stretch, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is going to be a Red Bull dominant, dominant win, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm still not going to pick Ferrari for anything, although they acknowledge that they hit on a little bit of something, you know, with their updates in Barcelona. Mercedes is notably better. Um, I still don't think they have the pace to overcome Red Bull in, you know, any way, shape, or form, um, you know, without bad luck on Red Bull's part. Um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. So expect what you uh, you know what you've seen for the rest of the your beginning of the season from the beginning of the season to continue who's gonna finish uh, who's gonna be the uh, f- behind max who's gonna be the f- next finisher is Leclerc. it gonna be Leclerc? I like it I like that choice I like that choice I'm going Lewis though um, I, I think Checo just continues this downward spiral unfortunately I hope he w- maybe maybe we'll be proved wrong on that note we're out of here check us out online the motorsports hour Find our podcast wherever you find podcasts. For Chris Wire, my name's Clark Sprinkle. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, bye-bye. Bop,